Hey y'all, this is Vidiotic. My name is Joe. My name is Sean. And hopefully, to those who are listening, our one supportive listener out there who's actually been listening. First of all, I know it's you, Mom. Please, let the audience build some. But second of all, thank you so much for listening. It helps a lot. You know by now that we are idiots who love movies, TV, things like that. Rot your brain, entertain you. If you don't know by now, you either haven't been listening or you are like us. Idiotic. And you probably love movies too, who knows. So you know what? I think it's been enough time that people have seen the trailer for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And I really, really want to just talk a little bit about it. I think trailers are fair game, as far as spoilers go. Like I said, hopefully it's been a little time, so most people have seen the trailers and heard the news. To be fair, we are going to, if anyone has not watched any trailers for that or anything or had not read any entertainment news, please be warned, we will probably spoil a little bit for you right now. But I think the big elephant in the room concerning the trailer that, here, I'll give you a little pause in case you don't want to hear it. Okay, now that they're out of the room, it's going to be bringing in Patrick Stewart. Professor X! Professor X gonna give it to you. <laughs> That's the only words I know. That's about 90% of the song. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, seriously, that's that's going to be so cool and exciting. I think when I learned that, that he confirmed it the other day, I was just like, this is going to be pretty epic because I think this is going to open so many doors for what they could bring into the continuing MCU. And also just, I've been looking forward to the movie. I love Doctor Strange. I loved the first movie. I loved how trippy it was. This one looks even more trippy. Well, that was uh, I'm I'm really impressed by this trailer because it made me. So when they did the first Doctor Strange, you, you know, you got what you were promised, which is this trippy adventure. You got good action and all of that, but it really was this like not psychedelic, but yeah, kind of. And it was all that, and I was thinking, okay, uh, for the second one, it's just gonna be, you know more wacky or more trippy or whatever and it's like oh it's like a kaleidoscope but this looks like a decent movie by itself you know forget being a sequel this looks like a really good movie oh most definitely like you said it, it's kind of leaned very heavily on visual style for the first one and that doesn't make it bad at all in fact i enjoyed that aspect a lot uh, another thing i liked about it was that it was actually mystical magical arts in the mcu there had been a big like point made to be like no it's just advanced civilization or no it's it's science but this was the one aspect of it they were like you can't explain this dr strange has always been tied with mysticism and magical things that cannot be explained scientifically and i appreciated that about it because you know like even the thing that they ruined in my opinion about thor the thor sequel was like asgard the realm of the gods the second thor movie oh they're flying ships they're just more like an advanced civilization no gods here and i'm like you can't do that <laughs> That's a side tangent, I know, but I but I appreciated that about the movie because they were like finally introduced something like that was a big part of the story too. Remember, because he was a doctor, he's a man of science, he's a man of a like a that kind of knowledge and anatomy and biology, and he's all like, "This is all scientific." And she's like, "You know, ancient ones like you gotta unlock that part of your mind. You gotta put that aside and take this by faith." Yeah, you gotta acknowledge you can't explain it. And I really appreciated that because I'm like, that's a topic you don't see a lot often, and I'm like, it's really interesting how they would tie it in. So. And of course, the uh, the money shot for this trailer was for me. There were there were there were a bunch of money shots in that trailer. There were a lot of good shots that could have been the one that people talked about. But you know, the one for me, 
his shiny bald head peeking out of the corner of the screen. That voice. It is, of course, Patrick Stewart. So excited. I heard some horrible, really, really mean person. I don't think this person uh, could have had a very good home life at all. But he suggested the theory that Patrick Stewart was in the movie, but not playing Professor X, just playing some random guy. <laughs> and I was like, get out, get out, leave. Horrible, horrible theory. I can't even imagine. But they kind of did that with the, uh, did you ever watch WandaVision, Joe? Yes, I did. Oh, yeah, they kind of did that to us with Pietro or uh, mm-hmm. Quicksilver in yeah. that joke for WandaVision, which now that might tie in more than well, they kind of left it at that point. It does, because that's who he goes to to consult about all this is is Wanda. And it's actually tying into her tapping into that multiverse idea, too, from WandaVision. Plus, I think it's cool because they've already acknowledged also that that anthology show on Disney Plus, the What If series, that's another money shot to me that was really cool. Was It's that version, that darker Doctor Strange who ended up destroying his universe, seeking the ultimate, like the un, unattainable power and knowledge of like reversing set things in time to save the woman he loved, right? So like that for me was the other money shot. And I was like, ooh, I'm intrigued. Yeah, there were a lot of people buzzing about that. I was actually not privy to that fact because I never com- I never finished the uh, What If series. I will say, like, I know they're all connected, and I have not finished the series myself yet either. I had been kind of slowly going back to it and watching through it. They're very – I know they're small episodes and such, but I really enjoyed what I watched thus far. Uh, my favorite up-to-date was the Doctor Strange episode just because of, like, the, the story it told and the interesting aspect of it all. And the fact right. that they they explained that it was actually going to be canon now and everything, I was like, this is going to tap into so much, though. And I mean, I'm still excited to see because of business acquisitions working out for Disney, you know, who owns Marvel Entertainment, getting Fox under their belt. Fox had the thing, the license to the X-Men and Fantastic Four. So now that yes. they're being brought into MCU, yeah. this is all coming together. And I'm like, I cannot wait to see who we get further down the road. That's going to be so cool. There's the real kicker for me because... In Spider-Man No Way Home, spoilers if you haven't seen it yet, what's wrong with you? In the trailers, they showed Doc Ock, they showed that Green Goblin was going to be in it, and they showed Lizard and Sandman and Electro, and and they showed them in the trailer because they were not the big surprise for that movie. It was Toby and Andrew coming back, right? If they are showing in the Multiverse of Madness trailer for Marvel... And they're showing us Professor X in the trailer, the very first trailer. What are they not showing us? What's the big surprise that's saved for the movie? I cannot wait to find out. Is it just like, is it going to be a bunch of other X-Men? You know, there's obviously rumors that Wolverine's going to be in it. A new Wolverine, maybe. John Krasinski as Mr. Fantastic. I have heard that rumor actually, and I'm very. I'm actually thinking I would be for his casting personally. But that's oh, I would me. love it. We're definitely going to have to do a uh, fan casting episode before that movie comes out. Uh, I think the fan casting thing is also on a side note. We're gonna. I think the fan casting is something we'll hold on to for episodes too. Yeah, Any, like a lot of multi projects because we just have different things we want to talk about with the. Uh, I, I'm just looking this up out of curiosity. I'm trying to remember when it drops. I think it's in uh, May. Okay, so we've got a couple months. 
the Doctor Strange sequel is going to drop in May 6th. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be counting the days for that. So I'm going to definitely go to theaters for that, too. But, you yeah, know, so well, May 6th. Speaking of Doctor Strange 2, that is, that fits very well with our topic for this week, which is directors. Our favorite directors. We've done actors, actresses, favorite movies. Now we move on to directors. I think there's an argument to be made that they're the most important person involved in the movie beyond even the actors. I think that's a pretty solid argument. You know, people see the actors and they connect with them. Obviously, the writers are important, you know, and all that. But uh, the director is the person that everything filters through, right? You know, they're the person that has uh, a lot of times has the vision and it's the movie you see on the screen when you go to see it or, you know, rent it or buy it now on, on your screen at home or the big screen. It's usually their movie primarily still, you know, there's a lot of say from producers, whoever foots the bill gets a say, of course, but directors are in charge. And for that reason, they have styles and unique ways and tell tellings of stories and everything, ways to weave it. They're, goal is to direct the actors into the sets that are made into the story that's written all to play out perfectly in the way that's presented to you the consumer in the end and it's it's incredible um when you start well when you start watching movies as a kid right you're not paying attention to the uh director you know and you're really not even paying attention to the actors you love the characters and then you start as you get older you start to recognize uh, actors in different roles and you're like, hey, who was in that movie? And then you reach the point where you start recognizing the DNA of a movie by the director. And then you really can start appreciating the really the what they bring to a film and why the director's position is so important. And the reason this is such a good topic for our Doctor Strange conversation is because my first director is Mr. Sam Raimi the director of Doctor Strange 2, Multiverse of Madness. He was Ash Evil Dead. He was Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3, which were really groundbreaking movies at the time. Well, certainly the biggest uh, earning uh, comic book inspired one, I believe, at the time. He Spider-Man was up there for a very, very long time. Um, there's a really cool uh, video on YouTube that kind of shows the progress through time of the highest grossing movies. And I think it mainly focuses on comic book movies. I was surprised to see just how long the Spider-Man movies stayed up in the very top earning comic book movies. Um, X-Men, I believe, came out first, and they really blew open the door to the comic book genre. And then Spider-Man came along a few years later, and it was just incredible because kids today cannot understand how groundbreaking it was to see Spider-Man swinging through the air like that, to see Doc Ock flinging around car doors. It, it's it's crazy. And and those movies still hold up today. There's obviously a little, uh, a bit of a mixed, mixed bag feelings about the third installment. I personally enjoy it for what it is, but I understand the, uh, what would you call it? Uh, the apprehension. Cough, cough. <laughs> yes yes it's okay though (laughs) no but i agree though those things like when i was younger that was the 
you know, hero trilogy, that was the comic book property because to be honest, between the two, Spider-Man was still enough that a uh, younger, you know, we were still younger when it came out. So it was, it would be enough where we could see parts of it or most of it. Cause I know we, our parents were very careful about, you know, what we watched and stuff and making sure it wasn't anything inappropriate or scary for us and whatever past a certain age, you know, but I remember watching it uh, maybe a year or two after it came out. Cause then I was like, okay, I can watch all the way through. And yeah, like it's finally, you read all the comics, you see the cartoon shows when you're a kid of all the versions of them. And then you see him in this, uh, you know, shots through New York City and there's Spider-Man in front of the screen swinging on webs, acrobatically flipping while doing it, you know, just going around the city, uh, standing on near the top of like Empire State Building and things. And just you're like, whoa, like legitimately, it just it just it caught your attention. And yeah, what you're saying is too like he was Sam uh, was entrusted with that. And it's funny to me thinking about that because previously all he had really done was horror. Like if you think about it, like you said, the Evil Dead movies were, were his his baby. In fact, the Evil Dead, the first Dead. one was was like his first movie because they made it while they were in college. I don't know if you knew that, but the original Evil Dead was made with him and a guy who would become one of his best friends and probably the most famous B actor of all time is Bruce Campbell. That's right. <laughs> that they knew each other in school. They were school buddies. Like those guys that when they went out to film Evil Dead, they had like a weekend and like only so many something thousand in cash given to them to like film. And then they ended up making that movie, releasing it, and it grossed like a couple million or something like that. It released in eighty one, nineteen eighty one. So yeah, it was is ridiculous. Cause like you can see where the limited budget went to like their their costuming and their makeup that they could do for practical effects. They did as well as they could for as a group of college kids, but then they ended up making something iconic and it's still going on to this day. Like uh, Bruce Campbell is still known as Ash yeah. because of that. And then like, he's primarily known for those like horror films and that touch of like ridiculous with uh, actual scare and horror values. But then he is entrusted with a comic book character. That's probably the most iconic Marvel character. I would argue one of the most iconic Marvel heroes. And then he just takes it and goes with it. And it just ignites the fire for even MCU today, honestly. They would probably not be where they are without, like, the success of those earlier Spider-Mans. I think it is – I don't know how official it can be. But I believe uh, Spider-Man is actually the biggest superhero, period. Like, even surpassing uh, Superman and Batman um, and every other Marvel character in terms of, like, worldwide – what would you call it? World, worldwide appeal. Spider-Man is the most popular uh, superhero. And yeah, I mean, he said it. He brought that to life in a way that people had never seen before. And it was brilliant. It's, and, and Spider-Man 2 is still considered to be one of the best superhero movies, comic book movies ever made. Like it's still in that conversation after all these years after Avengers, after Infinity War, it's still in the conversation as one of the best comic book movies ever made. And that was like, what, 2005 or something? Let me see. Let me, I've got it right here. 2004. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I just looked it up and I was like, 2002 was when the first one came out. So, man, we were young. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel oh, so yeah. old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, I was going to say Spider-Man 2 is what introduced me also to uh, Alfred Molina who is such a good actor oh yeah he's, he is like good Doc Ock I'm glad they brought him back 
to do it because it's like he is just he is the Doc Ock. But yeah, uh, Doctor Octopus cool. was was my favorite supervillain for a very long time. Yeah, it's funny because it's like uh, he's a kind of ridiculous. Like comic books always have that touch of ridiculousness, right? And it's sure. kind of hard to translate that for a serious thing. And like people do the best they can, but it's kind of hard. But you know, like that one did a good job of making like a guy. It was just like we said, the little sprinkling of ridiculous with a touch of hokey, but with a dash of like you know some realism and serious drama behind the character to you know, actual story building and, and character building in it to make you go like probably why all that worked and why it actually, like we said, all those things were done well and perfectly enough to be considered still one of the best superhero movies of all time. Yeah. I would contend that um, without Doc Ock and Alfred Molina, I don't think Spider-Man No Way Home happens. I don't think they're bringing back all of these past villains because the thing that got everybody excited, you know, we knew Electro and Lizard was going to be in it. And Green Goblins, obviously, people love him. The person that got everybody excited was Doc Ock. And, yeah, I, I don't think if that character was available, I don't think Spider-Man No Way Home happens the way it does because that character was so beloved as a villain. Uh, you did bring up something earlier, though, uh, as, as a little side note, about the relationship between Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, a good actor and director uh, duo. And I think there's a bunch of those that we could talk on, you know. Well, I, I don't want to list any there's of them off now. Many. Yeah, well, I was going to yeah. say, I can think of like three or four, like just combos in my head. Well, it's just another reason that the director is so important because you see people who, uh, or you see actors in certain movies that maybe they're not at their best or maybe the opposite where they're not a very prolific actor, but in this movie, they seem great. And that's all because of the directing, you know, the director knows how to play to the actor's strengths. And when they don't, or they give bad direction, it, it doesn't work out well, even with the same actor. Director is important. Indeed. Very, very important. And uh, that's a very, that's a very interesting first choice. I do like that a lot. He's definitely, um, he's definitely up there for being iconic for, like I said, his touch in the horror genre and even in superheroes. And now he's coming back with Doctor Strange sequel. So I think that's interesting to see how that can be handled with him back in the realm of a comic book movie. He's going to bring me back my bald, bad baby, Professor X. I'm so excited. Indeed, indeed. Well, then, very interesting first choice. Very, very good choice. I think we had talked about this a little bit before, but I'm going to go ahead and get one out of the way, if that's okay, as one of my choices. It'll be kind of like a spitfire, but only because we talked about it a little bit before. I don't think I can get, without saying a favorite director of mine, like, definitely of all time. And he may not have made an Oscar-winning drama or suspense horror thriller, anything like that. He may not have been as big as, say, the Spielbergs in the world, the Scorseses, anything like that, as the kind of films they make. But he still holds a very special place in our hearts, and I think I, we can't get by a favorite directors without mentioning the one and only Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks. One of the bestest human beings on the planet, if we had to be <laughs> honest. You know, one of the best. And he just, he fired on all cylinders. His comedy is top-notch. His writing was great. It was always everything it needed to be. Stupid when it needed to be stupid actually like funny jokes written well and unex unexpected and surprising when they needed to be poignant, sharp satire and humor. 
everything was anything he parodied is on the table and just I we love his movies to death. I know that. We talk about them often. And the only reason I drop him so quickly is because unfortunately, time constraint, we would like to talk about him in depth for its own episode. So further down the line, we will do just an episode about Mel himself. So but definitely on our list is one that we share is Mel Brooks. Yeah, that's definitely going to be an episode I'm looking forward to uh, to recording because he is, yeah. It, there, there's a there's a way of looking at it where you can say uh, this person isn't the best uh, director in the world or best actor in the world, and then there's the other angle of it where you say he is the best there is at what he does, and it's awesome. Mel Brooks okay. does Mel Brooks better than anybody else does Mel Brooks. You know that because you can say a Mel Brooks film and they instantly pop up in your head. Exactly. And I'm pretty sure at this point in time, if no one has ever heard of him, first of all, if you out there have not heard of him, please look him up. Just please do yourself a favor. There is a Blu-ray collection called the Mel Brooks Film Collection. It is not every single one of his movies, but it is the majority of them. Just buy it. I can tell you for now, it will not be a waste of money. It will not be a waste. It will be an investment into your future that you of entertaining, entertaining yourself and any other you know progeny down the road or anything like that. Friends or family, just do yourself a favor. Buy the collection. Anywhere you see a collection for it, just buy it. I can't think of any other uh, aspect of certainly the film industry where you can say, where you can honestly and accurately say, they do not make them like that anymore. They just don't. For those who do know, I was going to say, first of all, my other point I was going to make alongside those who don't know, just, you know, look it up. Definitely. We encourage you, me and John both encourage you, look it up, look him up and look up his movies. And then on the other side, those who do know, I think it would be safe to say that most everyone has a favorite Mel Brooks film. If you mention Mel Brooks to anyone, you know, someone's going to be like, Oh man, I love like young Frankenstein or, you know, someone space balls is my absolute favorite. And, you know, someone like Men in Tights, you know, it's, I saddles. think everyone's Blazing Saddles. I was actually getting to that because to your second point, you don't, you're not, I don't think we're ever going to see a Blazing Saddles in our lifetime. <laughs> yeah. One as poignant, as satirical and pointed as that one is, because like a lot of people nowadays, especially our age, let's be honest, if we tried to show them Blazing Saddles, they wouldn't go through like the first 15 minutes because they would already be talking about how non-PC it is and, and how how horrible it depicts certain things and, and everything and just be like you're missing the point that that's exactly, exactly missing the point and I'm not going to get into that that I'll save for the episode he's definitely on our list and I need we need to drop him in this one just because he's, he's we love you man we love you Mel Brooks we love you so much thank you for what you've done we love you Mel all right so my next one my number two if you will although these are not in a uh, hard set order. I've brought them up. How many episodes have we done? Is this episode four, episode five? This is four. Episode four. I think I've mentioned this man in every episode so far. So it's no surprise to y'all that Matt Reeves is on my list. Planet of the Apes. Brilliant films. The Batman. Haven't seen it yet. By the, by the time this episode airs, I'm guessing I will have seen it. Uh, but at the time of recording... I have not, but I am anticipating from what I've seen and from the reviews that it's going to be one of my favorite, if not my favorite movie of the year, maybe my favorite Batman ever, I hope. Yeah, he, he's just one of the directors where 
as soon as I identified him and then looked at, okay, what else is he doing? It just made complete sense why those movies spoke to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I've heard him. He's also a very good screen uh, screenplay writer because I know like a lot of those films, he helped write the story like the Batman. He basically wrote the screenplay for majority of them by himself, I believe. So that intrigues me a lot because I've seen his prowess of, like you said, those films of his directing and his screenplay writing. I think with a combo like that, you know, the Batman film is probably going to be a knockout because I know, yeah, like you said, at the time of recording, we have not seen it. I'm very sure we're probably going to come back and talk about it when we have and more than likely express what we loved about it. I, I'm that it, confident to say I think we will love just all the way through. Yeah, and I mean, you can only praise a movie so much not having seen it yet. But I mean, he has to be commended because it's not like that project was his from the get-go. He kind of, you know, if you followed at all the uh, DCEU and Batman, Ben Affleck situation, the Batman movie was in flux for a long time. You know, it went through a couple directors, including Ben Affleck himself. The, the story was written and then written over, and then it got handed to Matt Reeves. So the movie went through, you know, it went through some paces. And Matt Reeves came in and looks to have made a masterpiece of a film, in my opinion, uh, for my tastes. But yeah, Matt Reeves. And y'all have heard me talk about the apes movies before so i won't i won't beat you over the head with that again but go watch them brilliant films love them good choice good choice like i said i'm i'm not very familiar with more of his filmography but i do know the name and i do know like i said i i have heard good things from his screenplay writing side as well as his directing so i'm still looking forward to this and he's even writing the um i don't know if you knew this but he's writing the spinoff show for hbo max but I'm still looking forward to both those because, uh, like you said, he's very, very gifted uh, director and, and storyteller. And I think he's going to give us something that's going to be remembered for a long time. And probably I'm confident in saying that we'll love it before even seeing it. That's how much faith he, I have in him. He also directed the 2008 Cloverfield. Some people might know him from that. I think... I remember hearing that now too. Yeah, because he, he did the he did the directing. He might have helped come up with the story too, because a lot of that is whenever you hear Cloverfield, you mostly just hear talk of J.J. Abrams, because he right. mostly came up with like the idea. I would say in a lot of the story, but he didn't direct it. He is a director, but he did not direct the movie. That is a point to make. But yeah, no, that's definitely a interesting point to remember. So for my second choice, I'll say. Uh, one person I want to talk about in depth a little bit is uh, I mentioned him in our very first episode of favorite movies because I mentioned one of my favorite movies of all time is one that he directed. And I think I dropped it in the Spitfire section, but it's been a little while. I haven't gone back and listened to it all the way through, but I mentioned one of my favorite movies was Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, I still love that movie. It's great. It's fantastic. The blend of uh, drama storytelling with the characterizations of everyone blended with the humor and 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 sharply written lines are just it's great and i love it and it's directed by a man named wes anderson honestly after i watched that movie i started looking into more of his filmography and more about him and i started watching more and more of his films and they all share a style that is uniquely him like you can watch a wes anderson film and you can instantly tell this is a wes anderson film it's his style of cinematography 
It's the style of writing, the very strong characterizations of people, which is one of my favorite things about him, is that he can draw out various personalities from his cast, and they're all unique people, each and of themselves. There's always something. You can kind of name each person and what they're about with some unique trait to describe it to people so that when you're done, they'll be like, wow, so you just named off like, you know, 12 to 14 people, but they're all different in some way. And you can be like, exactly. And I'm like, yeah. that's hard to do. It genuinely is hard. Like you ever tried writing a story and you try to make someone different be like, uh, this person had a, a green eyes and then this person had um, a green, no way I said that already, um, um, blue eyes. Yeah, that's it, that's it, that's the feature. <laughs> it's not as easy as you might, you know, we're joking aside, it's not as easy as it, as it sounds. So to yeah. be so consistently strong in that regard is is commendable. Plus, I just love his style. I am a sucker for unique styles and things like that. And uh, on a side note, he also loves practical effects, which I also am a sucker for. Because I, I hate when things are too much CG nowadays. It takes away from a lot of it. I understand expenses, expenditures and budgeting and all that. But there's some magic about the way when you know it's actually something seen in front of you. And one of my favorite modems or modes of animation is stop motion animation because there is like no real CG involved. There's some touch-ups now with some modern things nowadays. And it's if used in conjunction with practical effects, it's it's great. But he has a love for stop motion, so I'm a sucker for that. So like, you know, films like Isle of Dogs and before that Fantastic Mr. Fox, I, I adore those films because they're just... They're the same style, but stop motion. And you know uh, what? all those things combined, I love it. Fantastic Mr. Fox has to be my most anticipated movie that I haven't seen yet for whatever reason. I don't know why. I as, When I saw the trailers, it looked like something I'm going to love. And of course, I love Wes Anderson. And it came out and I'm like, oh, I need to watch that movie. And then time just passed. I still haven't watched the movie. And I still really want to. I just haven't yet. I'll definitely let you borrow it because I do have a copy. You just you should you should at least watch it through because it's very very unique. Like we said, it's got strong characterizations. I love the animation, different tips and tricks they did to keep it with that whimsical, fantastical style of his, alongside using like you know practical effects and everything and whatever is just really really enjoyable. So. I do love those films, and I love his stuff. And like I said, Grand Budapest, I love. It was the first one I really watched of his. The ones I have watched all the way through, I'm still going through the his list, like of like a lot of the bigger hits and such. Is um including I haven't seen it yet, but the one that came out a couple months ago, the the French Dispatch. I really want to see that. Yeah, I really I just love his films, and I love that his directing style a lot. So my second pick I talk is Wes Anderson. Yeah, I, I was just thinking while you were talking about that, too. I, I, I've never really thought about him as a comedic director before. But when you think about it, it it's really him. You know, as much as Mel Brooks is a comedian, to a much lesser extent, Wes Anderson is the same way. Because uh, he knows how to film it. He knows how to imbue it with his style into his movies. I've, I don't know. I've just never thought of him as a comedic director before, but it's true. I mean... To, to an extent, I don't consider him a comedic director either, but I just think he knows how to balance all those all those things out. Because like in the end, you got when you want when he wants you to laugh, you can definitely tell, but you're laughing. When he wants you to, you know, feel the emotion, you feel it because he knows when to do it. And like and I'm like, it's it takes a really um strong knowledge of like of directing, I guess, just to be honest, and a and a good know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
So yeah, that's why he's on my list. So my next pick is the great and the wonderful Guy Ritchie. Um, oh man, he was also on my list too. So I guess we share another comparison there. Ah, ha, that's funny because I'm holding off on one because I'm fairly certain you're going to name it. I already wiped Wes Anderson off my list. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we just got bingo here. Yeah, so for those listening, uh, we talk a little bit about maybe one or two of the picks that we're going to do. This this is not a scripted show. We, we kind of like to have a little bit of mystery about who the other person's picks are so we can actually talk about them yeah, real time. A little time. surprise every now and then. Yeah, yeah, a little, a little surprise. Because this is just a genuine, we're just actually talking about movies and directors we like. It's fun. Back on track. Which one did I say? Guy Ritchie. That's the one. The one and the only. This guy, you want to talk about in the same lane as Wes Anderson, someone who just puts all of their, or puts their DNA into all of their movies. Guy Ritchie's at the top of that list uh, among the best because he's got his own style of, you know, cut back and forth and then this quippy, dry, witty commentary dialogue between his uh, actors, his pacing. Like I said, the wit that he puts into his writing and his dialogue is just phenomenal. My favorite movies of his were his takes on the Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law. Those were my introduction to him because I had heard about his other movies. I just never watched his like older stuff. But when I saw those, I was like, I got to watch more from this guy. Oh, yeah. Like uh, Snatch. Phenomenal. And... Correct me if I'm wrong. He was also Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I believe that was his first major movie. Let me see. Yes. Yeah, I'm looking at it right here. 1998. And that was actually the one that introduced us to, I believe, to a Jason Statham, to more of the world. And we're kind of like, oh, well, who is this dude? And we like him. And now he's, he's cracking skulls on our screen to this day. Yeah. And when I was looking that up, I... Uh... I was reading his bio, and it says he he dropped out of school at 15 and got a job as a runner, which is a position on a movie set. By the way, that was 1995. This man started his movie career the year we were born, 1995. He also, a lot of the uh, kids would know him from uh, Aladdin. Disney's recent live-action Aladdin was directed by Guy Ritchie yeah. as well talk a little bit about that just on a side tangent because i'm like i was so shocked in a way or not shocked i'm just very surprised when he was announced as a director for that because i was like can he handle this and i don't mean that as an insult i was legitimately like with the stuff he makes can he handle making a disney thing in this sense but then he made it and i'm like okay that wasn't that bad i can tell he was kind of out of his wheelhouse with a musical just to put on a base level as a musical but like he still put touches of where he could of his style in the film. And I was very impressed by that because like the best bits are like the, the one jump ahead sequence, you know, the whole gotta keep one jump ahead of the Batman. You know, right. Mm -hmm. That's the style he's known for that. I like about his films is like the physical action bits. He knows how to film physicality better than most directors I've seen. Cause like when the parts, when he's like has to parkour across the roofs or jump around and, and like, Guy Ritchie's really good about getting those that frenetic camera energy mixed with the like I said the speed and ferocity needed of your of your whoever's in the role running or fighting or whatever he's really good at that. Oh yeah, like I'm staring at his uh, 
directors list right now and it's stuff like the gentleman wrath of man king arthur sherlock holmes man from uncle uh, so yeah. yeah it's just he's good at what he does and uh no one else can do what he does like he does you know and i'm looking forward to his uh film that's coming out soon the uh, operation fortune have you seen the trailer for that no i haven't I oh look up the trailer it just looks really fun so I'd say I, I like your choice there because, like I said, he was also on my list. So I'll go ahead and cross, cross him off here because I was going to probably put drop him in the um, quick fire. But I think we basically said what we liked about him and everything. Like I said, I love his down-to-earth style and the, the greediness of when he films, like, actual people in some environments as opposed to, like, a more over-the-top nature. Like, some of his films have it, but he, he does a really good job with each. And like I said, one that really got me after a while, because I didn't initially like what I saw from the trailers, but I, I watched it much later, and that was uh, King Arthur. And we both said how oh, we really actually enjoyed his take on that. There was a lot of touches and stuff in there that was a lot of attention to detail, aspects of it that we never even would have thought about. And then like watching after finally watching, I was like, I really liked that. Way more than I thought I would. So I even bought it after I watched it, because I liked it that much. Yeah, I, w- I would say I definitely liked that uh, that movie more than the uh, mainstream audience seemed to like it. I, I think that also speaks to uh, how some directors and actors, so- storytellers, can speak to you more than it might speak to someone else, just because for whatever reason, you're on the same wavelength and they just, you know, you connect with them. And uh, Guy Ritchie is definitely one of those for me. Who else do you got? I think the last one I want to drop on a uh, talk about him in length is someone I've personally just gone to enjoy that he's been able to drop movies for me that have been the same amount of popcorn flick energy that I call them, where you just sit down, turn off, turn off your head, turn off other outside, you know, stimulation, just watch a film for like two hours, a little over two hours, and you just enjoy it. Like pure enjoyment entertainment factor is always like great with this guy. But at the same time, he's also given me a few movies that are like trippy and in a not just a visual style, but in storytelling and execution. His sci-fi movies as of late have been favorites of mine because of his takes on it are so intriguing and just kind of strange and weird, but balanced in a way that's something I can watch and enjoy. Plus, he also did a turn in some comic book films. And when I drop this, you'll know instantly who I'm talking about, where he did his Batman trilogy of Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. My choice for one of my favorite directors is Christopher Nolan. Yep. Uh, Dark Knight, again, one of those that is always in contention for the greatest comic book movie ever, or one of them. It's always in that conversation. It It is very good in its own right, honestly. And I think at the time when I watched it, I remember thinking it was good, but I didn't like it as much as everyone was talking about it. You know, years down the line, I realized it was going to have a lot of talk around it because sadly it would be, you know, Heath Ledger's last role in a major film. And he yeah. even won the po- the Oscar posthumously at that ceremony for his performance. And I think part of it was due to, you know, the posthumous passing. But as I was going to say, a lot of it can be said that honestly, he did a good job in such a way that you could not really tell it was Heath Ledger. Oh yeah, and no. that version of Joker is one of the more chilling versions, I would argue. Like even with Joaquin Phoenix's take in the solo Joker film, which is fantastic, honestly, really good. It's just like you know something about Heath Ledger's was also still enough of an over the, a touch of over the top comic bookish with the mix of actual sociopath that 
scared you and you're like, okay, you know, there's, this guy's unsettling, very unsettling and, and it still sticks. And, and that's why, like we said, it, that movie is also contentions of like, people are saying it's probably one of the best Batman movies of all time. In fact, that's what I've heard, not just comic book, but a lot of people say it's definitely in my top, you know, Batman movies of all time. And his take on Batman can't be understated. Like it was very intriguing. Like, just like we said, Sam Raimi did for Spider-Man, Christopher Nolan did do that for Batman because Batman had been out of public graces for a while. You know, the last ones we had gotten before that was the very last one before that was the George Clooney run. And we all know how successfully that was. That was heralded as nipples. Bat nipples. I mean, before that was actually technically bat nipples on a Val Kilmer's take too, but you know, yeah, but yeah, he he had only <laughs> ever had Batman had only ever had in cinema. You know, we had Tim Burton's take on the first two in the mm-hmm. in the nineties, like eighty nine and ninety two is when they came out, and then there was ninety four and ninety six. So like ninety four, nineteen ninety four was Batman Forever with Val Kilmer taking it, and then uh, Batman and Robin, George Clooney in the role in ninety six, I believe. And well, yeah. I do enjoy those films, and I kind of want to talk about them separately, like just those four maybe even just the last two bat films on a separate episode, just cause I, I, I don't think you've ever watched them fully. And that's one of the things I'm going to get you to do one time is just, I'll, I'll break, take them over to you and you will sit and watch them through just so you can get a feel for it. Okay. I yeah, love yeah. them because I love them in that they're so bad. They're good to me. They are, <laughs> they are, they have reached that perfect. You know how you actually hear that. Some people say it's so bad. You love to hate it or something, or you hate it so much. It's good. I draw a distinction between, uh, movies that I love to hate and then movies that are so bad that they're good. I, I They're very distinct in my mind, but yes, I, I definitely see what you're saying. Is it, is it that you love to hate it or is it it's so bad it's good? Well, I do realize that now I did say two things. Uh, no, I, I think it's so bad it's good because I okay. actually do love them. And to be fair, I was younger when I watched them. So to me, it was a comic book film. If anything, they kept the comic book side really strongly at the, at the expense of, you know, other good characterizations or, you know, costume work or cinematography and definitely some script writing. Because, you know, everyone knows Arnold Schwarzenegger's ice puns. Yeah. Uh, there are another kind of Hollywood gold there, honestly. Well, but, see, it's, uh, a funny, it's a funny kind of contradiction because... I can I can make fun of that, but at the same time, I love the old Batman series with Adam West. I will say, not to get too far off topic, yeah, I, I love that. That's a special place in my heart, just because that was trying to be a whole different thing, and it was its own identity. What it stood out as its own thing, and that's what it was trying to be. Uh, Swerve back around to Christopher Nolan. Yeah, his take on Batman was was great, and it really did reinvigorate the character. So even now, Batman has got more of a to where now we're getting this. Matt Reeves directed take and it's going to be at time of recording again so everyone knows like you know it's going to be intriguing and everything and it couldn't it wouldn't be at this point without the success of Christopher Nolan's take on it honestly he really set the bar in that movie for realism in comic book movies because this is 2008 like this is before Mm -hmm. Avengers this is before a lot of and the first movie was 2005 Batman Begins was 2005 right I was gonna say I love that trilogy. In fact, that was my graduation present from my sister. She actually bought me the Blu-ray box set of the trilogy. So I was just like, "Oh, that's so cool!" And I still have it, so it's really awesome. And like I said, uh, other films I love of 
Christopher Nolan are his sci-fi films like Inception when I first watched it. I love yep. that movie. It's just it's a heist movie. Like at its core, it is a heist movie, but with a very extreme, strange twist to it. And it's told so engagingly that you just have to you're sucked along for the whole ride. Yeah, that and uh I think I think you might have mentioned it already already. Uh but Interstellar. Yes, Interstellar was one. I bought that I had not watched it yet when it had come out. It was like a year or two after it came out. I found it in the bargain bin at Walmart for like the Blu-ray for like seven. It was like seven bucks, the seven buck Blu-ray bin. And it's like the one where it actually was the DVD and the Blu-ray, like in one case. So I was like, well, this is like for under $10. Sure. I'll get this. I said, I had actually heard a lot about this. And then I watched it and I was just like, whoa, the concepts in this film are, you know, over the top. And, you know, like I said, when people can throw in the dash of ridiculous with, some real science involved or something and some realism mixed in with uh, hokiness, but also tie it all together with something that's engaging and, and you can watch it and still love it. I love the ridiculous concept of it. You know, the whole idea that like gravity is the thing that is so strong in the center of a black hole, whatever warping through time and everything, all these concepts are just kind of thrown at you and it's like, whoa, and it's trippy, but in the best way. It was actually Interstellar that also led me to really want to see, and then I loved it, uh, watch Tenet when it came out. And I think you said last time you had yet to see that movie, but I love it because it's got the whole idea of, like, did you see the trailer for it, I'll ask? Yes. Uh, John David Washington's character, literally his name is just the protagonist in the movie. That's what he's called. That's what he's like his call sign is, which I love that little bit of fourth wall. It's kind of just funny. But he is the protagonist, as it's called. But he is sucked into this like agency that you discover that uh, you think it's a movie about time travel. Because when you see the trailer, and by the way, people, this has been out for a while, and I am going to drop a spoiler in this podcast. So if you have not seen it, do watch the movie if you're interested. If you don't care, I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. Oof. The, I, I, the, might, I, might, I might want to close my ears. Oh, you know what? I did forget about you. So I'll just, I'll be vague. It's not time travel. That's all I'll say. Watch it if you can. That's it. Okay. <laughs> trying to get me to explain it. Huh? So you saw like a, like the trailer when it's like things are moving in reverse and everything. It, it right. has a lot to do with that. Okay. Like I said, it's it's not like at face value, everyone's like, oh, it's time travel. And I'm like, it, that's what I assumed. I was like, oh, so it's like time travel. Things are moving in reverse, going forward and backward time or whatever, like an actual doing something. It's It's not at face value. And it dives so much deeper into that. Hmm. it, it kind of hurts your brain if i had to try to explain it so but yeah definitely watch that movie if you have not i love it i just ended up buying it when it came out because i had that much faith that i'd like it and i did so i have watched it a couple of times since and yes it's it's very good in my opinion very very entertaining plus he's gotten some good uh you know names in it involved and everything so and that, that's a real that. testament to a director's skills but also their uh i guess just their reputation is there certain directors, Christopher Nolan being chief among them, that actors are just lining up to work with? Uh, Wes Anderson is another good one. You, know, you can see it in his uh, latest movie. We mentioned it. What was it? The French Dispatch. Just the line of actors that he has in that movie. But he gets talent like no one's business. You can see his cast list and you just read off who's in it. You're like, holy crap. <laughs> All right, so we're coming up on the uh, the quick fire round, and I have to say, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> I have eight directors, so this is going to be actually pretty quick fire. 
I like to drag on and talk, but I'm, I'm going to try to make this as painless as possible. I kind of put these in this section of the list because some of them, I only really know them and love them from one movie. And maybe I haven't seen the other work that they've done, but that one movie was so, I either loved it so much or it, it just hit me the right way that I'm bringing them up here. And then I'm looking forward to them and other stuff. First one, Tim Burton. If when we're talking about DNA in a movie, you know, you know what you're going to get when you go to a Tim Burton movie. He was assaulted by colors as a child and he is taking his revenge on every movie. Uh, I think we touched on uh, director and uh, actor combos earlier. He's definitely one of those, him and Mr. Deb. Uh, next one, Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings. What else do I have to say? You know, uh, the way they directed those movies, just back to back because they didn't stop filming. They just recorded all of them at once. Brilliant films. Obviously, the third one racked up. I don't know how many awards. Do you know how many uh, Oscars they I got? I believe it won 11. I think that's what it had done. I could be wrong. I, it was like the first fantasy film to actually win Best Picture, too. Yep, right here. Uh, 11 Oscar wins. It's crazy enough to win one Oscar for a movie and then to have 11. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Peter Jackson. Uh, next one, I've mentioned him in the first uh, episode we did, I believe. Uh, it is Roberto Benini, uh, director of Life is Beautiful. Like I mentioned before, I only know him from that movie. I actually haven't seen his other work. But just what he put into that, because he wasn't just the director. He was the star of it. He was writing it. Phenomenal work. Can't say enough about him in that movie. Next one, John Krasinski. Someone who is, who is beginning to dip his toe into directing. I, I know he's done a couple other projects. I don't know what they are. Actually, I will say for directing, I mostly know that he did The Quiet Place. Oh, yeah. I didn't even say The Quiet Place. But he's done the one I know him from, obviously, is The Quiet Place and The Quiet Place, too, um, which, you know, one good movie could be a fluke. Uh, but if you if you do a next one and it's just as good, you, you've got something. You're a good director. And John Krasinski is one of those people and is now being recognized as, you know, a, a really good director. And I'm just excited to see what he does next. There's more Quiet Place projects coming out. There's actually two two more in the work right now. So I'm interested to see if he's going to be directing those as well um, or what's going on in that universe. But yeah. Next one is Chloe Zhao. She won the Oscar in 2021, I believe for best director for Nomadland. Wasn't she also the Eternals director? Yes. That's where I know her from is Eternals. A movie that kind of got mixed reviews when it released but I thoroughly enjoyed that film. It did kind of stray away from the, uh, you know, cookie cutter Marvel film, but I, I really liked it for what it was. I thought it was a, I liked the fact that it kind of strayed out of the Marvel box, especially for how many characters there were. It brought a lot of heart into each of them. The way she handled the concepts of Eternals, I thought was really well done. Because I went into it kind of knowing what Eternals were, uh, but not really getting it. But by the end of it, for, as far as sci-fi fantasy kind of stuff goes, I got it. And it made sense. And it, she took this like high concept 
she took this high concept and just brought it down into movie and explained it to me, an idiot. <laughs> and I loved it. I, lo- I loved the uh, interaction she put in there with the characters. Obviously, needs to be credited to the actors as well. But yeah, so I'm excited to see what she does next. I'm excited to see Nomadland when I get around to it. Next one, this guy, I'll tell you what, he gets a lot of harsh criticism that I think kind of deserves, but at the same time, kind of not. And you'll know exactly what I'm talking about uh, when I say George Lucas. A lot of people forget George Lucas directed Star Wars. We can't forget that. So a lot of people, when they talk about him as a director, it's with this, uh, you know, it's kind of like, yes, like the prequels and they're mocking it. But don't forget, like before George Lucas, there was no Star Wars. It's him. He directed Star Wars. And so as far as favorite directors go, George Lucas is up there for me. I would say that I know my point. I've actually talked about this with, I think my dad before but we made the connection that I said, I don't think he's as strong a director. I don't want to offend you. I'm just being honest. My personal, and this is opinion. I said, as a director, because even the original star Wars, it's definitely got some inconsistencies. It's got some scripting and stuff, but I'm like, as a storyteller, my goodness. Yes. Give him all the praise, you know? This whole universe, this whole fandom, this whole thing, how he made his money to where he retired now today and everything, he created. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that, and that, you got to respect it. You have to. And I'm fully willing to admit that the, uh, the, the prequels deservedly did not win any Oscars at the time of their release. I, I get it. I'm, not, I'm under no delusion that they are masterpiece uh, of film work. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Because you can't see the thing about that, though, too, is one of the reasons I praise uh, movies like is they took this new developing technology and they handled it masterfully, you know, and they just brought it to it. Well, they just brought it into the world that hadn't been there before. And you saw this movie and you thought you were looking at real dinosaurs uh, and it was crazy. And I kind of get the sense that in the prequels. Uh, particularly the first one, it almost seemed like, and then especially if you go back and look at how George uh, kind of remastered the old ones, added things and altered things a little bit, it kind of reminded me of that sort of kid in a candy store. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where it's like you have this really creative guy, literally created Star Wars, and he's handed this brand new technology into director's seat. And, you know, he's just going crazy with it. And it kind of seemed like uh, yeah. like that, like he's got all this he wants to do. And, oh, I can put in a, a bunch of uh, just creatures in like Star Wars. Aliens. I can add some aliens. I can add whatever here. I can edit this and do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree to a point because I'm like, that is that is true. But also, besides directing, he also invented other things. He uh, created industrial light and magic, which is still one of the strongest uh, visual effects studios to this day they are top notch in the industry he created that he founded really? that studio yes industrial light and magic he founded it for star wars they created I had no it. idea yes so that's why i was I, I wanted to interject a little bit just because i'm like i wanted to know if you knew that 
he no, founded that studio, Industrial Light and Magic. And like you probably have heard of them today, right? In fact, they are one of the ones who helped work on later on. They were the studio helped to, or the production company. Well, not they were a VFX company, my bad, not production, sorry, but they were, you know, a VFX company who were brought in to help with the dinosaurs of Jurassic Park years later. They have <laughs> been at the forefront of many technological advances and everything in studio and Hollywood. But he created them back in the 70s for his film. So he was making money off of that. Uh, he created Lucasfilm, his own production company, to make his films later on, you know, keep producing them. And also that was still, that's what was bought by Disney later on. Was that just the production company? So, I mean, yeah, all these things, like just, I don't want to get too distracted from the directing side, but I'm sorry. That was just something I wanted you to know. Cause I'm like, yeah, he created light industrial light and magic. ILM is still at the forefront today of a lot of technological advances and usage in movie films. Yeah, no, I had no idea. That's that's great to know. Because it's just, you know, you see people talking about it, and it's like, yeah, I get it. The prequel is bad movie. Ha ha, I get it. But put some respect on that man's name. George Lucas, when you say his name, should not be an insult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like... Hey, he, he co-created Indiana Jones. Yes. He and, and Spielberg, when they work together, that's... There you go. Yeah, and uh, sadly enough, Steven Spielberg is also on my... Uh, spitfire list that obviously it it was kind of the ones that was just kind of obvious you know (laughs) like of course you're not going to have a discussion about best directors and not include steven spielberg so he's in there too you all know who he is he's he's, you know if you don't know you were just born and you haven't heard it yet but you know (laughs) you'll get there you'll get there why Uh, your first days on this earth are ever spent listening to this podcast we'll never know but we appreciate any listening we can (laughs) <laughs> welcome welcome to Vidyak. <laughs> welcome to idiocy. <laughs> That's right. And then my last name my last name is Joss Whedon, purely because of Avengers. I think nowadays especially, that movie does not quite get the credit that it deserves, purely because of the success, the success that the MCU had after it. But it did something that had never been done before which was bringing together all of these different movies, all of these different movie characters from different movies, putting them in one gigantic Avengers movie. And you're sitting in the theater and you've been looking forward to it because you saw all these, you saw Thor in the trailer and you saw Hulk and, oh, and Iron Man and all of it. And then you're in the movie, you're watching Iron Man shoot up aliens. Fantastic movie. Uh, in my opinion, it is... should be much more considered one of the best comic book movies of all time. I know we've said that like three times in this episode alone, (laughs) but Uh, it's definitely on the list of comic book films in the like pop culture. Honestly, it really is. Oh yeah. Well, it was, that was the result of like four or five years was the first Avengers, right? Or like three years, something like that. Um, a, A year between a year and three years, right? Because you had Iron Man, you had the incredible Hulk, you had Iron Man two. You Let's see, four. when was you Avengers? 2012 was Avengers. 12. Okay, that's what I was thinking. 2012. And then so that was right before Iron we graduated. Man. And then Iron Man was 2008. So, so yeah, that years. was the result of four years. That was four years of culmination leading up to that. And then the remaining six years was the culmination of uh, Infinity War and Endgame. Because that was the 10 years they talked about. That was a planned 10 years they were planning all that, like for set in stone all the stories to tell and everything so yeah even seeing that after four years finally getting those primary six together 
you're like, yes. Yeah. I remember how hyped we were at the time because I do remember that we were in high school, but we were just like, dude, did you see that when like when the trailer dropped eventually? We were just like, did you see the trailer? Like we're finally getting them all there. Like yes. And like I think oh we goodness. went to we we went the night in the theater. Everyone was packed. I think where we went in the theater, right? Like every theater w- was packed for that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like they had like six or seven just theaters just for that movie or something. Something like that. I remember we we did that. It was like same when we went to see No Way Home, like almost ten or to fourteen theaters were just playing the one movie. Avengers is one of those movies where you just have to think, I'm so glad that I was alive to go see this when it released in theaters. Because it's it's the first Avengers movie. The greatest franchise of all time, financially speaking, you know, not necessarily my favorite franchise. You've got Star Wars and yada, yada, yada. But financially, uh, the Avengers, the MCU, is the greatest franchise in cinematic history. And it, you know, of course, started with Iron Man, but it really kicked off with this movie right here, Avengers. And bringing it back, we kind of got off topic, but bringing it back to Joss Whedon, that is a lot of pressure to put on one director to take all of those movies, have all of those movies piled on your back and to bring them together in one movie. And he pulls it off that well. I mean, well done. Yeah, exactly. There, there's a lot to be said for that. And I would agree. It's like uh, definitely had a lot of pressure, definitely had a lot of pressure to do it. But then like he pulled it off for that first one and like just, and then prove to Marvel, like, you know, helping and helping Marvel prove to the world, like we can do this. We can be fiscally site uh financially uh, successful with a comic book franchise yeah that was like the big thing that really did drive it home that it's like yes you can and i i actually like uh age of ultron a lot better than most people too i really enjoy it i do not like it as much as the first avengers because it definitely is a bit weaker in some regards but that's that's a different matter altogether i still love well basically all the mcu movies yeah, I don't really, I don't really necessarily hate any of them. I just have a few that I like more than others, and others that I like less than others. If that makes sense, I know that might sound vague and a little bit middle of the fence, but it's true. I know th- there's definitely a scale, and s- some of it is, uh, you know, just in terms of the nature of the movie itself, where it's kind of meant to be that way. You know, Ant Man isn't get sp- supposed to be the same movie as Endgame. You know what I mean? And then some of it is execution, but MC is fairly consistent with their movies. But yeah, there's a bit of that. But that concludes my list. Uh, what else do you have for me? Well, very nice. Very nice indeed. I do like your choices. And I think I'll go ahead with my first of my Spitfire and say that you have crossed off another one of my Spitfire choices as well, my yeah. friend. Because I had yeah. Tim Burton on my list. That was the one that I was waiting on to see if you yes. mentioned. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, like I, said, I didn't have enough to talk about him for like a full thing, but I do love his style. I love his, his like, he's kind of got that whimsical side as well as like uh, Wes Anderson does, but to a degree, yeah. like, to a different extent, to a different degree. He has a very much more unique take on it. So like uh, those films, like his Batman, his take on Batman in 89 and 92 were still good in the comic book side, but for many people, his was the first dark Batman, like, which is funny. We look at those now and we think, oh, wow, this is still comic booky and a little gimmicky. But it's like for people, that was the first, like, quote unquote, serious take on Batman they had seen. Like many people say to this day, they're like, you know, hero movies to them. That's one of the iconic things is finally seeing Batman handled in a darker way, because before that, all they had was Adam West and like the other cartoons and stuff. 
And they're like, yeah, that's cool. But some of these comics are a little bit darker. We'd like to see more of this, you know, from the seventies and stuff. And it's like, okay, we'll give it to you. We'll give it to you. And he did. So respect for that. But also another thing I love about him, as you know, like I just said, I love stop motion animation. It's one of my favorite forms of animation. Tim Burton is a huge fan of it and has huge respect for stop motion and has made multiple films of stop motion films. You know, like he, uh, he did not direct it, which is a very common, uh, uh, thing mistake people make, but you know, he did write the poem that became the movie, which was a uh, nightmare before Christmas, which is now like when it came out, it was actually produced by a company under Disney because Disney did not want their name involved on it. But now of course they embrace it fully because of how financially successful it became and how big it was. And he's followed it up by a lot of other shorts and films like Corpse Bride and Frank and Weenie and things like that. And I, I love them. And it's just ridiculous enough that I, I love it. And, you know, just I love his style and the films he has made other ones and other branching uh, paths and such, including a guilty pleasure of mine is his take on Sleepy Hollow. So if no one's seen that one, watch Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, please. It's campy. It's corny. It's actually like his take on a the legend and story of the legend of Sleepy Hollow, but also kind of like a hammer horror film. It was kind of his take on that style of filmmaking with Sleepy Hollow. And I love that film. So Tim Burton's on my list as one of them. Uh, another director that I really like in, in the same regard, as you said, is not really seeing a lot more of his work, but seeing enough of it. But I, I loved what I've seen is uh, Neil Blomkamp. Hope I'm saying that right. I don't know if you're familiar with his work or not, but he is the, uh, it says he's South African Canadian. So from his parentage, uh, his big first movie was actually by him, but also produced by uh, one you just mentioned, Sean, which was uh, Peter Jackson helped produce one of his big breakthrough movies, which was that District 9. What about the aliens living in South Africa? Basically, okay. he, he actually grew up during apartheid in South Africa. Right. So he experienced it firsthand and saw the this treatment, you know, on all sides and was just like, you know, this is wrong. Like, why is this going on? Why is this a thing? So that was what the whole movie is about. It's an allegory to apartheid. But it hit like just right for people that it became like, you know, pretty big, pretty decently sized movie. So it kind of took off from that. And Peter Jackson liked it enough to be the main producer on it. And I think for me, like if he's not being too poignant or anything and trying to make too much points his films to me are like really good popcorn food uh cinema like i said just sit down turn off your brain watch the movie one of my personal favorites i liked by him was a, another one he had made called elysium it's a film with matt damon in the title or in the film and it's a it's an allegory on like the rich and the classes and such i can tell but it's it's very engaging and i love it I rented it from the library, believe it or not, just because I thought, eh, this looks like a time killer, and it's got this Neil connected to it. I I'll see that. I don't even know if you can rent movies from the library anymore. <laughs> Who even knows what a library is nowadays? It's honestly. a library. Books? Back in the day. <laughs> but I, I loved his stuff that I had seen. And I do look forward to his future projects. He's got a movie now. It's a horror movie, which is kind of different for him. It's called Demonic. And it's like a, a take on a demonic possession film, but also more like based. This is going to sound funny, but it's kind of based in like digital technology. Not really metaverse. I hate to use that term because I hate the term, but it's not really that. But it, it uses like digital technology in a way of like kind of entering people's brains or something. So it's like a person enters their relative's brain to see that it might be a demonic entity 
possessing their relative or something like that is is what was promised in the trailer so i don't know i'm intrigued enough to be like okay i'll definitely watch it when i can get my hands on it <laughs> but i love neil's work thus far and uh, i will round it up today with another name of one that i've seen a few things of his not a lot but just enough to get a feel for that i enjoy it is uh james wan yes and he's yep. just fun like that's the best way i could describe it i can do that guy just has fun with what he does he started with a lot of like horror films right like his breakthrough was with his friend and uh co-director slash writer lee winnell was his name who starred in the film saw was their breakthrough where they made it with like a very small budget with a small cast and in a few days, like in a very small time frame, and it blew up. And most everyone's probably heard of the Saw films. I will admit, yes, they are very gory. They are disgusting to many people and they became less focused on story as it went on. But in my opinion, <laughs> one of my favorite movies is Saw 1 because it is actually a very solid film. Like, I was very impressed with what they did, the budget they had, the people they had, the time they had. I recommend to anyone who is adventurous enough to at least watch the first movie, watch the first movie because it is phenomenally written. And I extend that to you, Sean. Honestly, if you can watch the first movie, watch the first movie. It's good. Way better than it had any right to be. And uh, that was, you know, thanks a lot of it to James Wan and his direction. And that became big enough where he started to actually be able to write and direct other movies. And a lot of them were horror based. And that kind of went on until uh, I would say what he did is he was the one chosen to do Fast and Furious 7 in the Fast and Furious franchise. That never seems to slow down. And then he kind of got more adventurous. And a couple years later, he did Aquaman for DC. Yeah. So. And I really enjoyed Aquaman way more than I thought. So he's definitely got more action and oriented side there. And I love it. So when I see him do more like action films or something, I hope I do. And even with his other horror films, because he had one release this year, actually, called Malignant. I have not watched it yet. I did watch some spoilers on it already, but I'm still going to watch it just because I'm intrigued to see how he made the characters and everything. But he was in my last of my roundup. So, James, I love your stuff, man. Keep going strong. I think his work in Aquaman is a great example of when a director really knows how to direct the talent that he's working with, like the actors that he's working with. Um, because uh, Jason Momoa, you know, I love the dude. I, I love the stuff he's in. Um, he, he's not known for his acting chops, right? He, he's like a, he's like a big fun guy. <laughs> and one of my favorite things about him is you always see him in these pictures about to tackle other actors, like on the red carpet or something. Mm -hmm. There's a famous one of... Uh, him and uh, Henry, Cavill. Henry Cavill as a meme. That's hilarious. But, but then, but then, if you've seen Dune, he does the exact same pose when he's running up to hug Timothy Chalamet in the movie. Mm -hmm. I it's just like I noticed it, and I was like, "Ha ha, good job." Yeah, it, it, and it's just him. And I think the director—you can really tell when movies, when the movie director does and does not know how to work with their actors. And I think Aquaman just proves that James Wan does know what he's doing, you know, and he plays he plays the characters and the story right into his actor's strengths. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's just a mark of a good person who knows his people, knows what to do, what he wants and how to do it. So, so. that's the type of uh, director that 
actors would want to work with someone who's going to take care of them, you know, because at the end of the day, the actor, uh, they're not behind the camera, they're in front of it and they're putting themselves out there. And the person that they have to trust to tell them, yeah, that was a good take or no, that was a bad take is the director. So it's a, it's a very uh, uh, important relationship that they have. That is so true. And honestly, I think with our choices, I hopefully illustrated that, you know, of course, like we said, with these lists, they're going to grow, they're going to change over the time, you know, but I think what we had so far was varied enough. And, and I think we almost got a bingo there. I think we had four out of five. So, you know, we'll, we'll get there one day. We'll do another list. We'll compare again. We'll do another bingo chart and see what we get. But I, I think pretty good so far, right? Yeah, I, I knew we were going to have a little overlap there. <laughs> I think we what, had three, three or four of the same names. I think we had four total because it was, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was four. But yeah, so we almost got a full bingo. Maybe next yeah. time. And, you know, with that disappointment, I'm going to go ahead and see we close the curtain on this episode. Hope everyone enjoyed listening. This was Videotic. My name is Joe. My name is Sean. Thanks for listening.